0: All right, so today, take your Bible, and we're gonna go in Matthew chapter six. So you're gonna be turning there to Matthew chapter six, and if you need a Bible, why don't you wave at an usher? They're coming in the aisles in both rooms right now, and they'll be glad to let you borrow one, and it's our gift to you if you need a Bible yourself. So a while back, People Magazine interviewed Dolly Parton, the famous singer and actor for decades now. The interviewer was asking an interesting question. Where did you ever get such strong character? Dolly told about her family and her Christian faith. She said, I quote the Bible real good. The interviewer said, now, many celebrities these days go for counseling, especially in the stresses of show business and all. You've had but one marriage all these years. And what about you? No, she said, I don't see a psychiatrist, instead I fast. You what? I fast. Is that like a diet? No, said Dolly. I fast to get in touch with God. Sometimes I'll fast seven or 14 or 21 days. I don't drink nothing but water. And I don't ever say when I'm on a fast because scripture says you're not supposed to. To the astonishment of the interviewer, Dolly went on to say, she's never made a major decision without fasting And prayer. Now, I'm not going to stand here and infer that Dolly should be enshrined next to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham at the top of some spiritual Mount Rushmore. But I do wonder, could you say the same thing? Sometimes I fast for 7 or 14 or 21 days. I don't drink nothing but water. And I don't ever say when I'm on a fast. I just do it to get better in touch with God. Could you say that yourself? fasting. That's what we're going to talk about today. At which point some of you are like, dang, I knew I should have eaten breakfast after all. (laughs) So the reason that we're talking about fasting is because we're in this series where we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talked about fasting himself. As a matter of fact, last week, Kyle launched us into this three-week series that we're calling Secret Power, where we're focusing on the portions of the Sermon on the Mount that have to do with prayer and fasting. And if you weren't here, Kyle compared the spiritual secret power that all of us have as believers to the secret powers possessed by a special group of men and women who most people thought were entirely normal until each of those Marvel superheroes took on their secret personas as Superman or Batman or Captain America and the rest. And Kyle challenged us to consider whether we, whether you and I are really tapping into the secret power that God has made available to all of us through prayer. So, He moves, Jesus does, straight from the portion that Kyle took us into last week into this portion about prayer. And so I wanna read it and then we're gonna talk about it. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber. as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, you put oil on your head and wash your face so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, right off, the first thing I notice is that word when did you catch that? Twice he said it. When you fast. When you fast. He didn't say if you fast anymore, and he doesn't say if you give or if you pray in the Sermon on the Mount. No, it's when. He says, I know you're going to do this, so let's talk about how you're going to do this when you do this. So we need to talk about it today ourselves. The way I want to talk about it is by looking at it through three different angles, from three different angles, okay? So if you're a note-taking kind of person, here's what we're going to talk about. I want to talk about what it is that Jesus was talking about. And then I want to talk about why people do it. And then last, I want to get practical and talk about how do you do it, practically speaking, okay? So first, what is it? Biblical fasting Is the often neglected spiritual routine or discipline or rhythm or tool in the spiritual toolbox? that we sometimes refer to the spiritual disciplines as. Like Bible study and prayer and worship and community and tithing. And these are tools in our spiritual toolbox that he's given to us. Why is he giving them to us? So that we'll use them in order that we might earn his love, so that we might earn his favor, so that we might earn our salvation. No, no, of course not. He's given us all of that because he's full of grace. But then he gives us the toolbox of spiritual tools with these disciplines or these routines so that we might implement them and use them in order that we might grow closer to him, this side of heaven, in our walk with him here on earth. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are. Well, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines. It's just typically the most neglected one, certainly in our culture. For as Richard Foster writes, in our day and age full of shrines to McDonald's, golden arches, and an ever-expanding range of pizza temples, we can hardly imagine the thought of fasting. And yet it's mentioned in the Bible at least explicitly more than 70 times. But here in this country, we're sort of conditioned to believe that probably we'd just keel over and never make it if we didn't ingest several thousand calories every single day right? Which is probably why Americans are collectively, this is interesting. I didn't know this until I was studying this. Collectively, Americans are 600 billion pounds, collectively overweight. 600 billion pounds. That is a lot of stored up energy. We have so much of it in this country. But let's be clear here. This talk. This sermon has nothing to do with losing fat. It has nothing to do with losing weight because Jesus was not highlighting fasting for weight loss purposes. Plus, I'm no dietitian or nutritionist or weight loss. I can't, I'm no medical. I can't speak about that. All I am is a card-carrying Bible-believing, Jesus-loving preacher. So that's all I can talk to you about. But I have talked to enough of those kind of people who are trained in that to at least pass this little tidbit on to you. And that is, if it is fat you need to lose, fasting is the worst way to go about doing it. Because though you will drop fat if you just don't eat anything, your metabolism within a day or two or certainly three will start to slow down to conserve what you're hanging on to. And you do that for a week or two, and then you, with this slow metabolism, start putting the calories back in, your body will grab hold of those new calories like gold and cling to them, and you will put all of that fat right back on and more typically because you're outpacing your metabolism. And so if it's weight loss that you need, that's not this sermon, okay? So you need to go down the street and you need to talk to one of those kind of people, go to Weight Watchers or get yourself a trainer or something like that and come together with a plan. That's what you need to do uh, if what you're talking about is weight loss. That's not what this sermon is about. Now, what are we talking about when we're talking about fasting? What Jesus was talking about is fasting for spiritual reasons, okay? Fasting is this, voluntarily abstaining from something very natural for us like food. Voluntarily abstaining from something very natural for us like food for a certain period of time in order to rely more on God increasing our attention on him and hearing what he has to say to us better. The aim of fasting is to rely less on food in order to make more room in our hearts for God. But we like relying on food a lot, don't we? I'll speak for myself in this culture Abstaining from anything food related feels totally unnatural at best and pointless at worst because it stands in stark opposition to how we're totally conditioned. And furthermore, since many of us eat our meals with friends and loved ones, the thought of fasting can feel not just like an assault on your survival instincts, but an assault on your social instincts as well. So it's very counterintuitive to us when we come to a text like this in Scripture. And it's tempting just to punt and to give up. But let's not give up so easily. Let's not. Let's push on. Yes, the temptation for us is to play it safe as American Christians. I know, I got that. But wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome as Dave Clayton, who writes a very fine short book, you can read it in about an hour, called Revival Starts Here. Dave Clayton is his name. And wouldn't it be great, he writes, not just to spend our lives reading the stories of other heavy-hitting Christians who came together in their own walk with the Lord and untied their boats and pushed out of the dark and out of the harbor into the open waters, taking risks for God. Wouldn't it be great for you, for me, for all of us, if we were to do that and to shove out from the safe harbor and actually try something for God. In these seven weeks heading up to Easter, we entered, to, starting this Wednesday, we entered to this season that we call Lent. It's not something we thought of, it's something that the Christian calendar has had in it for centuries. A season where throughout history, Christians have said this is a season for extra contemplation and reflection and confession for walking more closely with the Lord as we make our way to the cross on Good Friday and eventually to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. The temptation, I think, for many of us is just to accidentally back into Easter and whoops, how did that happen without journeying with Jesus? And that's why the Christians for centuries have said the season of Lent is a really good season for some deeper spiritual reflection. And I want to call us to that as a church, this Lent. All right, so that's what it is. That's what the the fasting is that we're talking about. Now, why? Why would believers do this? Why spiritually speaking to Christians even fast? Well, back in the day, why did Clark Kent step into phone booths? Because a moment after stepping into the privacy of those legendary phone booths, Clark Kent would reemerge transformed. No longer was he just an ordinary man, now he was Superman. Spiritually speaking, Jesus knew that fasting can be for us like a phone booth of transformation to the end that when we come out of our prayer closets, we too are transformed not able to fly physically, but spiritually soaring because fasting can lift us to new heights and our closeness with the Lord. The first time I ever tried a seven-day fast, and let me hasten to, to chase that with the remark, I haven't done that many times, so don't think I'm being the hip, hypocrite here this is a spiritual discipline probably the least natural spiritual discipline of them all ask me to talk about bible study ask me to talk about prayer ask me to talk about tithing I can talk about those sorts of disciplines all day long ask me to talk about community and the power of community in our lives I can talk about that all day long fasting is not a second nature for me this is uh, This is a challenging discipline, but the season of Lent is leading me and I believe all of us to take a step of faith and say, okay, meet me here in this God. So I went back in my notes and because I wanted to remember what was my first seven-day fast like. And I journaled the first few days were a mixed bag at best. Sometimes I felt really close to God and other times I felt really sluggish and tired and irritable. But once I hit it, it was the sixth or the seventh day. Wow, the energy that I felt, the spiritual closeness to God I felt. It was like the, the, all the fog was gone and my antennas, were, I would just dialed in and I was hearing from the Lord and I had verses that I felt like he was putting on my heart and I was soaring. And so let's talk about three whys, all right? Why fast? I'm tiptoeing into the first one right there with that story. If you're a note taker, this would be 2A, all right? Fasting clears out the static so that we can receive the guidance that we need from the Lord. Some of you, you're facing big decisions right now in your own lives, maybe about your job, maybe about a relationship, maybe about some other aspect of life. And you have said, we need to pray uh, more. And maybe you've even said, I'm going to pray never, uh, without ceasing, like Paul said to pray. I'm just going to keep praying throughout every day. But if you're like I am, you get to work and you had wonderful intentions and you really meant it when you said you're going to pray throughout the day. But you get to work and you start working on your list of things to do and you got phone calls coming in. you got emails to return and texts and all these things. And you can go three hours and four hours and maybe five hours and you haven't prayed once but if you're fasting, all of a sudden you feel this little twinge. Ooh, ah. And you remember, I'm not eating today. Why am I not eating? Because I'm dialing in to God. I'm getting closer, connected to God. And you spend those moments in prayer. It draws us back to God. Even after the first service, there was a a sweet couple, new couple. I hadn't ever met them before. They came out, and they said, we'd like you to pray with us. I said, okay. They said, we're we're kind of new around here, but we're actually fasting right now. I said, really? She said, yeah, we started on Friday. I said, well, what are you fasting about? She said, what you're preaching about. We got a big job decision right now, and we really don't know which is the right way. And so I was just able to pray with them. Lord, would you meet them as they make themselves available to hearing more clearly from you? And so by, it's by taking something out like food, we're making more room for God and we hear better. It's not that he's talking any louder. It's just that we're less distracted and that's the reason that many times we don't hear them. Back in Ezra chapter 8, um, and it's in the Old Testament. You don't really need to turn there, but I'll describe what was going on. Ezra, the great Jewish leader, he declared a fast for the Jewish people. The context was this. All the Jewish people had been exiled <clears throat> for decades now and they, were, they had been going through uh, discipline and punishment from the Lord for their rebellion, uh, rebelliousness towards God. But now the end of that season of discipline has finally arrived and through the king of Persia, they're going to get permission to go back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem and Ezra is going to lead them back. But he's trying to figure out how am I gonna get all of these people, all my Jewish brothers and sisters, And all this stuff, all these possessions that we've accumulated and some that came out of the promised land with us when they carted us out. And how are we going to get all that back to Jerusalem? Because like today, there were bad people. There were bandits. There were robbers. There were people that would hijack them. And so he's trying to figure out there's a lot of different paths. There are a lot of different routes we could take. What's the right way? I don't know. And so what did Ezra do? He declared a fast so that they might hear clearly oh, this is the way walk in it and sometimes you or your family or your church comes to a critical crossroad you could go this way you could go that way you've made your pros and you have made your cons and you've stacked them up and you've sought advice or counsel from trusted people but have you asked God with fasting combined with your prayer it worked for Ezra and it worked for us. Here at FaithBridge. we're in this 20th anniversary year. And so you're sort of seeing some footage and videos that they're rolling out. We saw the first of them last week. Um, and... I was reminded how in those early years of Faith Bridge, we had seasons of prayer and fasting. I think two, sometimes three, sometimes four times a year. We were praying and fasting about whether or how we were gonna get into the Klein Independent School District. You heard that story last week. We were praying and fasting about what property should we buy. And is this too big of a step for us? Can we afford it? And we fasted and prayed about what are we gonna build once we had that land and, and all of these sorts of things <clears throat> that would uh, be the, 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 the fruit of which we're enjoying today. And even as I was working this week, it occurred to me again, this place is built on the foundation of prayer and fasting, but... We've been negligent about it in the recent years, and I've got to bear the blame for that since I just haven't called us into such seasons, not nearly as regularly. And so I was pondering that this week as I was reflecting. Lord, why is that? And for a while I thought, well, maybe it's because those first years, the first three or four years, I was still single, and I had all the time in the world, and and I gave everything to the church, and, but then I got married and then I had kids and now I'm busy and we have activities. And, but I felt like the Lord said, that's not really the reason. I think more than likely, I've just gotten comfortable. I think that can happen to us, can't it? When things are going generally well, we could just get comfortable and not really call out to the Lord so much. But see, we're coming to a juncture here at Faith Bridge, where we're going to need his guidance. Behind the scenes, our leadership has been considering several really exciting possibilities, but which way is the right way? We're trying to figure that out. How timely it is that Lent starts this Wednesday, and we can climb up on the shoulders of saints who've gone before us for centuries and we can use this season as a season of prayer and fasting. So we're going to do that. And I'll come back and describe more of that to you in just a few moments. So prayer and fasting are particularly helpful disciplines when we need guidance. Um, But I'll give you a second one that flows right out of it. Prayer and fasting humble us. That's a second good why. Why? Because fasting humbles us. You go back to that very same story that I was just telling you in Ezra chapter eight, and you see an interesting thing. I'll read the verse in 821. Then I, Ezra, proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, and that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So he's seeking guidance, he's humbling, they're humbling themselves. Now, what is humility? What is humility? Humility is when you become little in your own eyes. Humility is having a small view of yourself, no matter how big anybody else says you are. Humility is refusing to trust your own abilities, refusing to trust in your own effectiveness, your own goodness. Humility is is not having an elevated sense of yourself that might tempt you to think, I don't need God so much anymore. Remember the first beatitude from the beginning of the year when we were in the Beatitudes. What was that first Beatitude of Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the problem I believe with so many American Christians is that we're not very poor in spirit. We're proud in spirit. And we know that God opposes the proud. He only gives grace to the humble. So fasting is something that reveals a poverty of spirit in the Christian, the person who's saying, God, I need you. I need more of you. I am desperate. It's a person who says, I need you, God. I, I can't make this decision on my own. I need to hear from you. There's a humility in that that God blesses. Tony Evans points out that teenagers, not all of them, but sometimes teenagers struggle with humility. Why is this? Because they're becoming independent. And when they come into some problems, again, not always, but some teenagers, what do they do? They go out to someone who's just as ignorant as they are about their problems, their friends, instead of going to their parents who might've actually been through something like it and who could give them some wisdom. And Tony points out, we Christians ourselves, we can be a whole lot like teenagers. We think we know it all, and so I don't need God. Yet he's the only one who's seen it all. He's the only one who's been there. Too many times we Christians say, I've got this, I'm smart, I can handle it, I can can figure it out on my own, to which God says, okay, and he backs up and says, I'll let you do it again on your own, and let's see how that goes. So are you at a crossroad in your own life? Some sort of decision point coming, maybe with a job, maybe a relationship, a location, a school, a next step of some sort. I wonder if what maybe God is saying is, if you would humble yourself and pray with fasting, you would hear my voice. This because the person who's fasting is somehow earning extra brownie points or favors with God? No, 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 no. Any good thing that we have, everything, every good gift comes from above. It's all from God's grace. Nor is it in any shape, form, or fashion, fasting, uh, nor is it some sort of arm-twisting shenanigan that'll get us, to get God to give us what it is that we're holding out for. Almost like hunger striking. No, it's not that. So we've talked about two reasons why. Let's talk about one other. Because God rewards the faster. But why? Why does God reward the faster? Because of this simple principle. God is committed to taking care of his children who stop depending upon themselves and start seeking him as their treasure. It's the same reason, don't you realize, that you could say, why does God bless the tither, the person who gives? Because God is committed to taking care of his children who stop depending upon themselves. Why does God bless any person who's coming along? Because we're at a point of dependency, and he loves that heart. Fundamentally, don't you see, when we fast, when we are offering ourselves, specifically, we're offering our emptiness, really, aren't we? We're offering our emptiness. We're saying in fasting, Father, I'm empty, but you are full. I'm hungry, but you are the bread of heaven, Father. I'm weak, but you are strong, I'm foolish, but you are wise. I'm broken, but you're whole. I'm dying, but your steadfast love is better than life. In fasting, we're saying, Father, I'm I'm raising the white flag of surrender because I want you to take hold of me fully. And when God sees that kind of heart, that kind of confession, that kind of expression, that kind of humility. He responds because that's the kind of heart he just can't help but move towards. That's why. Now, there's other reasons why people fast. Sometimes they fast for healing. Sometimes they fast for protection. Sometimes they're fasting for some sort of spiritual uh, bondage being broken or spiritual warfare. There's a variety of other reasons, but we'll we'll go with these three for today. Let's move it real practical now. How? How do you do it? Well, Jesus helps us. Particularly in this passage, he says, Well, let's start off by how you don't do it. Okay? It's the same thing that we heard in the text last week. You don't go out all somber and spiritual, show-offish, like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces and show others, I'm fasting. No. He says, if you're doing that because you just want some attaboys, you just want some spiritual pats on the back, wow, you're so spiritual. He says, Well, that's your reward. Whatever pat on the back, whatever attaboy you got, that's your reward because I'm telling you there ain't anything else coming from heaven because you didn't go into this with the right posture, with the right heart. The object of fasting is not to ratchet up the accolades from on-miring lookers, uh, lookers who, who say, wow, look how spiritual he or she is. But it's tempting for us, isn't it? It's tempting for us to do religious things so that other people will see us doing those things and go, wow, think well of us. Sort of like the college student that I read about this past week who uh, was experimenting with the spiritual discipline of fasting for spiritual reasons. And he, uh, he got on, a, it was around 11.30 or so and he he starts moaning and groaning oh and, and finally one of his f- friends leans over and s- s- says what is wrong with you said, oh, i'm fasting the friend said wow well how long you been fasting he said since breakfast <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Let's not be that that guy. Nor let's let us be like the person who who uh, is at work and a colleague says, "You want to go eat lunch?" No. Okay. Can't. <laughs> well, why can't you? Can't say. <laughs> you know, I found it <laughs> I found it particularly helpful just to be transparent in my own life. If somebody sees that I'm not eating on a certain occasion, especially if it's a business or, you know, there's other people around at the lunch, I'll just be transparent and say something like, well, the only reason I'm, I'm having just water or iced tea is because I'm fasting for spiritual purposes. And I'll quickly be the, the very transparent and say, this is a spiritual discipline I'm not very good at. It doesn't come natural to me. And it's, it's work, but I'm trying to grow in this. And now everybody's in the loop and nobody's feeling like, oh, wow. <laughs> they can probe a little bit. And, and you know something else that I was reminded of in my study this week, and that is several very well-trusted uh, writers about this fasting things. Christian writers, point out let's not get too carried away for fear of being disqualified because we were showing off, um, that we don't realize actually the benefit of community for the same reason that many times uh, people work out together, you know, and you go to CrossFit or whatever. Why? Because your friends are there. You, you know they'll be there, and they'll keep you there, and you're doing it together. Well, th- they point out fasting is a, is a rhythm that, or a discipline, spiritual fasting, that is well done with a trusted brother or sister or two. So you find somebody in your grow group or you find somebody on your serve team or you find somebody um, in your micro group and they're like, you know, I think I wanna try to experiment with this. And you're like, well, so do I. So you can do it together and you can share, here's what I'm learning, here's what I experienced, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, here's what I think I'm hearing from, from the Lord. And you can do that together and that's very strengthening as well. All right, so uh, let's highlight uh, several practicalities here. Four types of fasts. Generally, Christian fasting, spiritual fasting is uh, partitioned into four different categories. So if you're a note taker, this would be three A, B, C, and D. Here we go. The major fast. What is the major fast? Major fasting... Um, is sometimes it's called total fast. That's where you're just going without food altogether for a day, for three days, for seven days, for 21 days, for 40 days. You see it in scripture, you see it in church history, you see it in people today who say, I'm just doing a a total fast or a major fast. Now you drink plenty of water and all sure. The question comes, could I hurt my body? Well, in most instances, fasting for a day or two or three is not going to hurt your body at all, especially uh, if you're carrying some of that extra energy that we were talking about. Um, And especially if you're drinking plenty of water and especially if, uh, and this does not delegitimize the fast, if you uh, ingest also some uh, natural fruit juices or uh, vegetable juices, just to get a few calories and a little sugar uh, into the system. This is the total fast. Uh, as a matter of fact, not only will it probably not hurt you, a lot of research indicates that fasting for a few days is actually healthy for your body because it enables the body to search out and eliminate the toxins which stay stored up inside of us. Um, but again, and particularly if you're diabetic or you're pregnant, I am going to hasten to say, let's be, real careful with you on this, and you, I'm no doctor, so you talk with your doctor about this fasting sort of thing, and he or she may say, that might not be the best thing for you, especially in this season, okay, and um, so you'll take care to do that, I'll trust. Now, let's talk about um, the minor fast. What's the minor fast? Um, that's a good place to start, I remember when I was in seminary, that was the first way in a class on spiritual disciplines that I first, the professor said, why don't you do this? Start with one meal, and so eat your dinner, and the next morning, don't eat your breakfast. Just spend that time praying, and drawing near to the Lord, and reading his word, and, and then go about your day, and, and then resume at lunch. And then you do that a few times, add in another meal, and you, and you pass on the breakfast, And you pass on the lunch. So you go dinner to dinner. This is the minor fast. Okay. And uh, another great way to experiment or to step into this uh, rhythm of fasting. Again, if you're pregnant, if you're diabetic, I'm going to encourage you, you talk to your doctor uh, before you do it. By the way, if you want some just real practical helps, there's a, a terrific little booklet that Dr. Bill Bright wrote years ago. Uh, called Seven Steps to Successful Fasting and Prayer. Um, and they told me that we're probably going to run out after this service because the first service made a big run on them. Uh, but you can get it if you just go online to faithbrist.org fasting, okay? And you can pick up one of these. And that, that's a good little primer right there that you can get on your own. I, again, would recommend Dave Clayton's book um, that I mentioned earlier. Revival starts here. Let's talk about the partial fast. That's the third category. What's a partial fast? Sometimes it's called the Daniel fast. You remember in the, in the book of Daniel chapter one, where those Jewish peoples had been uh, kidnapped and uh, exiled, hauled off uh, to a foreign land where they would be for the better part of 70 years. And so you had people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who, once they get there to Babylon, the king is trying to feed them all of these delicacies, but they're like, that's not kosher food. We can't eat that. And so they work out a deal with the servant who was in charge of them and said, would you t- test us, uh, test God in this, that you just give us vegetables and water, and if we keel over in 10 days, well, then it didn't work. But if... if <laughs> If we're still strong, then you'll know that God is taking care of us. And ever since, people have talked about the Daniel fast. And there's various ways that you can do Daniel fast. Just go online. You can Google Daniel fast. Some include the, the, the fruits as well as the vegetables and some of the beans and, and oats and some of those sorts of It's sort of a vegetarian kind of. So you could try that. As a matter of fact, that is a strand of fasting I have never experimented with. And so I decided as I was preparing, that's the strand I'm going to experiment with during this Linton season, the Daniel fast. Maybe you'll join me in that. And then there's one last one. This is called the soul fast. The soul fast does not have to do with food. Um, this would be uh, pulling something else out of our lives that can be clutterish, like TV, like social media, like video games. You say, for this season, I'm going to pull those things out so that I can focus more on God and hear more from him. And many of the, the heavy-hitting saints throughout the, the years have said that's very legitimate as well. Let's not uh, belittle this type of fasting as well. Maybe that's what God would call you to in this season of Lent. All right. We're to the end. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out this card. You were given this when you came in. I would add though, some of you, especially husbands, we've noticed many times you're like, she'll she'll hold it. So you passed, but I don't want you to pass. The ushers are going to come right now and we just raise your hand and get one of these prayer calendars. Basically what we've done is we've just given you one specific prayer request that we can be praying together as a church for this season of Lent. Now, what I hope is that you will take one of these four types of fasting that we just talked about major, or minor, or partial Daniel, um, or soul fast, and that you'll add that. To this, but at the very least, I hope that you would say, I will pray with the church. Because imagine the power that goes up to the throne of heaven if a thousand or two thousand people are all standing in agreement on the same day saying, This is what we're lifting up. God, would you do this in our church or in our community? All right, and so you can take this and you can put it in your Bible or you can put it in your bathroom mirror or wherever it is that you'll remember so that we can be praying. Together. Here's what my hope is that many of us in this season of Lent wouldn't just let it go by without taking the opportunity to actually step further in our relationship and our walk with Him. Let's untie the boats that are safely strapped up in the harbor. Let's untie them and let's go out to the deep seas with God and just see if He doesn't meet us there in a powerful way, this Lenten season. Let's pray together. Lord, um, this is an interesting, an interesting subject. It's one that hits our ears, feeling foreign and different and s- scary and counterintuitive and uh, almost fanatical, and yet it's something that uh, believers have done for centuries. Forgive us, Lord for the way that we so cavalierly just grow comfortable and passive. My prayer, Lord, is that in this season, you would do a new work in us all. In this season and uh, sermon series that we're doing on secret power, that you teach us more about prayer and take us to a deeper place in our prayer closets with you, and that you would surprise us with your presence and with joy Along the way, I pray, God, that you'd give us new lessons and learnings that we could share with brothers and sisters in our grow groups or serve teams or micro groups, our friends, even at work, that it would be a winsome witness that we would have with others. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who maybe they've never said yes to Jesus in the first place. And if you're here, friend, and you've never said yes to the one who came into this world to live the life of sinless perfection that you couldn't live and to die the death of punishment that you deserved and then conquered the grave on the third day that you might likewise be a conqueror, then I invite you, before you try any kind of fasting, to say yes to Jesus, to open your heart to him and say, come into me, Lord, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of unrighteousness. Fill me full of your spirit so that I might walk closely with you all of my days. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, stand up and let's sing a song.